0: So we talked about him. We saw the atonement from his perspective. We talked about what did he buy? What did he purchase? What did he accomplish? And I wanted you to see just that overwhelming trust and assurance that he can do all things because he claimed his rights of mercy, that he paid the debt to justice. He can snatch us. He knows the human experience. He knows me. He knows how to save me. What an incredible savior we have. Now the question is, How do I tap into that power? How do I access the atonement? That's been my question my whole life. How do I access the atoning sacrifice? So today I want to answer that question in a very, very simple way. I think we make it harder than it is. So let's talk about how do I access the atonement? How do I interact with Christ? What part is mine and what part is is his? A lot of people in the Book of Mormon will get it wrong. Jaredite sat on the beach for four years because what were they assuming? He's gonna do something. And what was he assuming? Uh, Guys, this is on you. Sometimes we err on the, I'm supposed to do something, but I'm waiting, it's all on him. Sometimes we assume it's all on him, but it's not all on him. There's a part I have to play. And sometimes we do the opposite. Nephi says, there will be many that say, eat, drink, and be merry. Nevertheless, fear God. He'll just, oh, you're going to be be fine. Just sin and he'll forgive you. And so the Book of Mormon illustrates that we get that balance wrong often. So what is the balance? What part is mine and what part is his? How do I do my part and how do I recognize when he's doing his part? We'll address that tonight. But before we do that, may I suggest that there's a prerequisite. And this prerequisite, I believe, is keeping a lot of people from tapping into the power of the atonement. I don't know if any of them are here. I'm going to assume that some of us are struggling with this aspect. And you will never tap into the power of the atonement like he wants you to until you have hope. I love the Bible, but I would not understand hope without the Book of Mormon. And I want to talk about hope. Now, I know we typically say faith, hope, and charity, as if hope follows faith. And I think in some regards it does. But there is a line in the Book of Mormon that has caused me to say hope comes first. I don't think it replaces the faith, hope, charity, hope, but hope comes before faith. I think this church is having a faith crisis, but I think what's causing the faith crisis is a hope crisis. I think this church is going through a hope crisis. And so let me me point out hope in the Book of Mormon. Now, let me define, actually, you know what? Let me show you that verse. Turn with me to Moroni. Let's go to the Book of Mormon. Moroni, chapter seven. Mormon is writing a son, a letter to his son, Moroni. I'm so grateful that Moroni includes this in his record. Now, notice he begins with that traditional I'm gonna write to you some of the words of my father which he spake concerning faith, hope, and charity. Placing hope after faith. But then his father writes this verse. Turn to verse 40. And this is the verse that shook me many years ago. And it sent me on a quest. And again, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you concerning hope. How is it that ye can attain unto faith save ye shall have hope? What does he say comes, what does that suggest comes first? Hope. And I think the reason some people are struggling in their faith is because they have a hope crisis. How can you have faith if you don't have hope? So let me give you my own interpretation. After many, many years of trying to put my hands around hope, let me explain it as simply as I can. I would say that faith is believing that God can do miracles. We truly have a God who does miracles. Hope is Is believing that God will do miracles to me in my life that I qualify. You see the difference? Faith says God answers prayers. I believe that there is a divine being who speaks to his children. That's an act of faith. Hope would say, I believe God will answer my prayers. And I would suggest one of the reasons people doubt that God speaks is because they don't think he will speak to them. Faith says, I believe Jesus will save sinners, that the atonement can snatch people, and that he, can, he has claimed his rights of mercy. Faith says that God can save sinners. What would hope suggest no matter what I've done, no matter how far down into hell I, would, I have put myself, what does hope suggest? He will save me. Do you see that? Do you sense then, describe someone who has faith but lacks hope? Or maybe we could say it differently. The real reason they're not obtaining faith is because what they struggle with Is hope? Can you describe that person to me? I think we all know him, right? The gospel doesn't work for me. Faith says the gospel works. Hope would say the gospel doesn't work for me because, however you fill in the blank, we say I'm not. And there's our lack of hope. I'm not good enough. I'm not faithful enough. I haven't done enough. It doesn't work for me. And we lack hope. Let me show a few examples from the Book of Mormon that I think are illustrating a loss of hope, a lack of hope. Let me start with Laman and Lemuel. What was their problem? A lack of faith or a lack of hope? Interesting wording in the Book of Mormon. Turn to 1 Nephi chapter 15. 1 Nephi 15, they ask some intriguing questions about Lehi's dream. And Nephi asks what he should have asked. What does he ask? Well, have you asked God? Have you asked God these questions? And they say they have not. Now, let me cover up the last two words okay let's suppose this is what they said and you tell me what they lack Lamin said I haven't asked God I haven't prayed because God doesn't make things known period what's the lack here that God doesn't speak why ask because God doesn't speak but that doesn't seem to be their problem. Why were they asking Nephi? Tell me why they're asking Nephi these questions. Because they know deep down that Nephi has been told. Nephi has been taught. So tell me if I add back the, two, the last two words, tell me what they lack. I haven't prayed because he won't make such things known to me. Why try? What would the second sentence be? We're not blank enough. That would suggest a lack of hope. Let's do another one. Alma chapter 33. This one fascinates me because it seems so pertinent in our day. Alma chapter 32 was about planting the seed and growing a testimony and eating the fruit of that testimony. So Alma chapter 33 is is about, okay, how do you start? How do you plant that seed? And he's answering the question. And I think what he's trying to say is, here's why people don't plant the seed. Here's why people don't grow the seed. Here's the biggest obstacle to accessing the power of the atonement. It's what you believe about you. And so he starts talking about the brass serpent. The brass serpent. Now, what did you have to do? Beautiful image. He was spoken of by Moses, and behold, the type was raised up in the wilderness that whosoever would look upon it might live. Nephi said earlier in 2 Nephi 25 that this image, that this brass serpent had power to heal the nations. Anyone who looks, lives. All you have to do is look to Christ and live. Now look at the last part, the last sentence of verse 19. Many did look and live. Do you think word got around camp? Do you think they knew someone who was healed? Do you know someone who has had miraculous events happen in their life? There seems to be this, okay, I have this underlying faith. I know miracles are happening. But the real source of not grabbing onto that? Let's read verse 20. Look at this. Many did look and live. So that makes verse 20 very intriguing. And allow me to modernize it. Allow me to point out that the same thing is happening today. I'm going to cover the last word. Let's suppose they didn't include the last word. But there were men. Oh, but few understood the meaning of those things. And this because of the hardness of their hearts. There are many in this church today, 2023. There are many who are so hardened that they will not look they will not turn to Christ therefore they're going to perish now the reason people today don't turn to Christ don't look to God is because they don't believe it will heal What's the lack? If that's where the sentence ended, what's the lack here? I don't think healing occurs. I don't believe healing occurs. But I don't think that's the problem today. I think everyone kind of in their gut knows that miracles are occurring. And so I think the problem today is people are not looking to God. Why? Because they don't believe it will heal them that would suggest a lack of hope and why don't they think Christ would heal them I'm not enough we're all a little somber because we all love someone and I'm describing them aren't I it doesn't work for me. Do you see, they'll never grab the power of the atonement. They'll never access the atonement if they lack hope. Let's do another one. Another one from Come Follow Me from New Testament. One that came up, dependent on when you studied, it came up in Luke five, it's also gonna come up in Matthew eight. So it depends on how you read it. Let's go to Luke. I like Luke's version the best. Go to Luke chapter five. Verse 12. Luke five. Now, tell me about being a leper in the Savior's day. What what did I expect people to do to me as a leper? Run away, right? I terrify everyone. Do you see the symbolism here? This man full of leprosy thinks Jesus is going to run away. He's symbolic of people who I believe don't have hope because I know people who think that if I were to approach Jesus, he would do what? He would run. I think there are those who think Jesus would run if they called out his name and yearn for help. And that's why this man is so significant to me. He has leprosy. Now look at what he says. Tell me what he knew. I know you can, right? I don't know if you will. Do you see what he symbolizes? A man full of leprosy who says, I know he can heal me. I just don't know if he will. I'm not acceptable enough. He'll run. Now, Jesus puts his, he puts his foot in the ground and says, hear it, every single one of you. First of all, what direction does he go? Does he run? Does he run from a man full of leprosy? Is there anyone on this planet who reached out to him and he would run? He went to him, he touched him. How many people touched lepers? No one touched a leper but he touched a leper. Now the question was, I know you can, I don't know if you will, and the Savior's answers was just two words. And I think every single, the Book of Mormon, the scriptures are inviting every single one of us to understand that if you approach Jesus, if you want the atonement, if you were to look, but in your heart you say, I know you can, I just don't know if you will. Tell me what he would say. I will. I will answer your prayer. I will heal you. Faith is trusting that he will. Now, I'm going to let him choose how and when and where. I'm not going to tell him how to bless me, but I know he will. Will. I am enough because I am his child. I am a child of Heavenly Father spiritually and I am a child of the atonement. And he will. Do you see that hope? Now go to the very last verse of the book. Go back to the Book of Mormon. Moroni chapter 10. This verse haunts me. And I believe it is all too true. Moroni chapter 10, verse 22. Last chapter. Isn't that interesting? The last chapter of the Book of Mormon. And Moroni writes, if you have no hope, you will be in despair. Because why? Why are people in despair? They look at their sins, their iniquities, and what do they say? I'm not enough. It's time to end this. Wouldn't wouldn't you say the very fact that this is put in the Book of Mormon is because God wants you to have hope? Let me give you the very best definition of hope I've ever found. I love it. We'll turn to the Book of Mormon's definition, but I want to go to what I consider the very best definition of hope. I found it in Preach My Gospel. Chapter 6, Developing Christlike Attributes. Did you love Chapter 6? Those of you who went on a mission, how did you feel about Chapter 6? You loved it and you hated it, right? Because I want to be like Christ, but I feel so inadequate. I'm not good enough. And then you were supposed to read that entry on hope. So turn with me to preach my gospel. You can find it under lessons, missionary, preach my gospel. Look at chapter 6 on developing Christ-like attributes and then faith and hope, find hope. Anyone lost? You all found it? Okay, hope. Amanda, would you mind reading? I'm going to interrupt you a couple of times so just get ready. Yep. Hope is an abiding trust that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. Okay, keyword there. What what do you think is the keyword in that sentence? You. To you. Hope is an abiding trust that he will fulfill his promises to you. How many of you have a line in your patriarchal blessing that if that one line were fulfilled, it would be enough, that you would be content and happy? He made a promise. Let him choose how and when and where, But you hold on to an abiding trust that he will fulfill his promises to you. Keep going. It is manifest in confidence, optimism, enthusiasm, and patient perseverance. It is believing and expecting that something will occur. I just, I wish I could just shout that out. You should, you must. The invitation is begging you to have confidence and an expectation. He will. I know he will. I know he will. I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know where. I'm going to let him choose that, but I know he will. How many times has President Nelson talked about having an expectation of a blessing? He he says that numerous times, doesn't he? I expect a blessing. I'm not going to tell him which one. I'm going to trust him, but I expect him to bless me. That's hope. That's holding on to hope. And do you see how it's going to be a barrier to everything else? If I don't have hope, will I ever access the power of the atonement? Because I'll conclude what? It'll never happen in my life. But having confidence and an expectation that He will bless me will cause me to do what? Keep going. When you have hope, you work through trials and difficulties with the confidence and assurance that all things will work together for your good. Hope helps you conquer discouragement. The scriptures often describe hope in Jesus Christ as the assurance that you will inherit eternal life in the celestial kingdom. Key word in that sentence. Which word do you think would be emphasized? The scriptures often describe hope in Jesus Christ as the assurance that you, not just Russell Nelson, you, you, a leper, with all the problems in your life, with all the things you've done wrong, he is capable of fixing even me. It is confidence that you will inherit eternal life. So let me Let me plead with you. I love how this is worded. Turn with me to Alma chapter 13. And you got to know the setting. What's the setting of Alma 13? Okay, pause. My iPad's going to die. anyone tell me the setting to Alma 13? This is Ammoniah, perhaps the most wicked city on the American continent that ever existed, because what's going to happen to it? It's going to be completely slaughtered by the Lamanites, and we get to read it from two perspectives, right? So what does Alma say to the most wicked city on the American continent? What invitation does he give? And what language does he use to give it? This is, I just love this. I just wish I could say the same thing to you. So Alma 13. I'm going to start in verse 27. To a group of wicked sinners who are about to be slaughtered because of their wickedness. He says... I wish from the inmost part of my heart, yea, with great anxiety, even unto pain, that you would, and then he creates this big long list of things Alma wishes they would do. And guess what's on the list? With all the energy of my heart, I would plead with you to have hope. Now, go beyond Alma to the people of Ammoniah. Do you, in, what is the Book of Mormon saying? The invitation of the Book of Mormon to everyone who says, I am not blank enough, wrong. Have hope. You are enough for him. He is capable and willing and desirous. Why would he have atoned if he didn't want you to have its blessings? I would, with every ounce of my soul, that you have hope that you shall receive eternal life. Do you sense the invitation from the Book of Mormon? Suggestion number one, you will never Access the power of his atoning sacrifice until you choose to have hope. Hope is a choice. Hope is what you believe about yourself. It is not an act of humility to tear yourself down and to lose hope. That is not being humble. Have hope. He will. So turn to the hymn book. Find hymn number 187. I think hope is rising up every morning, waking up every single morning and reciting verse 3 to yourself. Hymn book. I wish I could zoom in. This is the problem with the I can't zoom in to the scriptures. I need a PDF of the scriptures. Believe me, I've looked for them. See, I can't zoom in. Uh, uh, uh. Verse three, hymn number one eighty seven, wake up every single morning and and accept Alma's plea and say to yourself, O oh, love effulgent, love divine, what debt of gratitude is mine that in his offering I have part and hold a place. Within his heart. I hold a place within his heart. I am enough, and he can and will save me. I expect a blessing. That's hope. Thoughts? Thoughts on hope? Do you sense, like I do, that we have a real hope crisis going on right now? It's a lack of people connecting the blessings of the gospel to them. I don't know your name. I'm Sarah. Um, But this has been making me think of President Nelson's so common phrase of um, believe in and expect miracles. And I've never really understood what the difference is. But to believe in is to have faith that miracles can happen and to expect them is to have hope. You got it. And why would he be saying that if he didn't sense that the church is struggling with hope? I hope none of you are struggling with hope. I think it's okay to say, I'm not perfect. I make a lot of mistakes. But if you lack hope, you're missing the message of who he is and what he wants to do for you. I don't remember where I heard it from, but one time, like when I was, teacher either at school or like seminary but they were telling us that like faith is like a boat and one of your oars is action and the other one is hope and one without the other you just go around the circle that's right that's right and are there people who are going through the motions but they just don't understand that the blessings are going to happen in my life okay discussion number one now discussion number two how do we if I do have hope let's suppose I trust that a miracle will happen. What is that balance between what part is mine and what part is his? I think we love this verse and we hate this verse. I think we take this verse way too far. Remember that verse in 2 Nephi, chapter 25? You all know exactly where I'm going. Where Nephi says... For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and be reconciled unto God. For we know, you know what he says, right? We know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Now tell me what Latter-day Saints usually do with that phrase. How do we interpret that? You have to go as far as you possibly can, all alone, without him. And then when you finally get as far as you can go, he'll take over and take you the rest of the way. I think that's how we see it, is you've got to go all the distance that you can, and then he'll carry you to the end. And that is not what the Book of Mormon illustrates. This is not what the rest of the Book of Mormon teaches is the relationship between me and Christ. So let me see if I can change the way we understand it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Grace is a dance. It's a little bit of me, a little bit of him, a little bit of me, a little bit of him. And we dance together, Jesus and I. He's doing something, and I'm doing something. And that balance is how I tap into the atonement. Now, we're going to leave the Book of Mormon temporarily because it's defined in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's illustrated in the Book of Mormon. So let me define it in the, book of, in the Doctrine and Covenants. Turn to section 93, which might very well be one of the most profound evidences that Joseph Smith was a prophet. There is no way a human being could have given us section 93. Section 93 is an excerpt from John the Baptist who watched Jesus grow up, who knew who he was and wants to tell us about him. Now, when the Lord emphasizes something, he repeats it, right? Three times in three verses is the greatest emphasis he can make. So watch what John emphasizes in 12, 13, and 14. I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness at the first. Then in verse 12, he received not of the fullness at the first. And then in 14, he received not of the fullness at the first. That's a fancy way of saying what? Jesus, Jehovah of the Old Testament, went through the veil and forgot he was Jehovah. Do you believe that Jesus went through the veil just like all of us? Do any of you remember what you were doing in the Old Testament? Do any of you remember pre-mortal life? So did young Jesus, born on this planet, remember any of that? Jehovah of the Old Testament, who was like unto God in pre-mortal life, forgot everything and started at the beginning. You see what John's emphasizing? And he did it to show us the way. He advanced and progressed, how? He went through the veil, he didn't have a fullness, and he received grace for grace. Doesn't that sound like a dance? Doesn't it sound like I do part, and you do part, and we dance? Jesus is going to advance grace for grace. Now, notice how this one's different. What do you see in the next verse? How, how is that different? Amanda, what's the difference here? Grace for grace seems to suggest an exchange. Grace to, What does grace to grace suggest to you? Building and building one on top of the other. As in? As in how big, how, how, how big are my steps here? Grace to grace. Jesus is going to progress in an exchange with his Father like we progress in an exchange with him in slow increments until he hits a fullness. Now, why did he do that? Did he have a fullness in premortal life? Did he have a fullness in the Old Testament when he was Jehovah? So, why did he start over? Verse 19. James, would you read? Yeah. He started over. Why? I give unto you these things that you may understand and know how to worship and know what you worship. In other words, why, James? Why did he start at the beginning? Because we know he's been moved. Really... To show us how to do it. Keep going. That you may come unto the Father in my name. And in due time. Now you got This is where the crescendo is. This is where the loud, this is where all the instruments are saying, how long is it gonna take? A long time. But if you follow this pattern, in due time, what? Receive. You can receive a fullness. Now, how are you gonna receive a fullness? Verse 20, keep going, James. For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me. As I am in the Father, therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. You, like Jesus, will advance grace for grace. And you will advance grace to grace. Now let me see if I can graph that. Let me put that in a graph. Okay? Let's combine two truths. Go down to verse 28 and tell me truth number one. Always true never fails, here is an eternal truth. What's eternal truth number one? When you obey, you'll get light. Doesn't matter if you're in Africa, in China, in the United States, in Utah, anyone who obeys the light they have will get more light. Now think back to section 82, unto whom much is given, much is required. So if I have more light, I'm supposed to obey more, there's my dance. What was his dance? He gave me light, a small increment of light. I take that light and what am I supposed to do? Increase my obedience. But what happens when I increase my obedience? Back to principle number one, he gives me light. Do you see how it goes? This is is mortality, this is how you tap into the power of Christ, ready? He gives you light, you live up to it. When you live up to it, he gives you more light. More light helps you see more clearly, therefore, you see things you need to fix. You fix them, and then he gives you more light. Do you see the process, do you see grace for grace, and grace to grace? It's almost like this, let's graph it. Let's let this access be light. So this would be someone with no light and someone with a fullness of light. And this axis is going to be obedience. Someone who obeys no commandments and someone who obeys a fullness of the commandments like God does. Now, where these two meet, there's Heavenly Father, right? That's my goal. That's exactly what I'm trying to get to is have a fullness of light and obey at a fullness level of obedience. So where do I start? What do the scriptures suggest is my starting point in terms of light? Does anyone come into this world with zero light? When we forgot premortal life, were we given zero light to begin with? And we know that, right? There's so many scriptures that suggest what? We start with light, A. But where are we in terms of obedience? When we came into light. Yeah, light of Christ, whatever you want to call it, conscience, light of Christ. Every human being starts with light A. But does anyone come into the world obe- obeying? Do babies obey? No. But what does the light do? It beckons to us, right? It calls to us. And anyone who responds, as soon as they hit obedience A. Tell me what happens. They get light B. Now notice my light is always ahead of my obedience. I started ahead of obedience. And as soon as I catch up, I get an endowment of light. Now what does that new light do? It shows me. It calls to me. It beckons to me. If I respond, if I I follow, and I increase my obedience unto whom much is given, much is required, what happens when I hit obedience B? You see it? I get light C. I am growing grace for grace. And look, I am growing grace to grace. You see the process? Now, do you have to go all the way and then Jesus takes over? No, every day of your life, you are making choices as to whether or not you are receiving his light. If you receive his light, he gives you more. And there's the dance. Let me illustrate. This classroom allows me to illustrate beautifully. Here's me at birth a dark room with messed up desks and just barely enough light to see that the desks are crooked. I can see that the desks are crooked and it bugs me. So I tidy up my life. I clean up the desks. Now what's gonna happen when I obey the light that I was born with? Just a little bit more. Now with that added light, you see more. Now I notice that the pictures are crooked. Bear with the analogy. Now here's an important question. Why didn't I fix the pictures when I fixed the desks? I could not see them. It was not possible for me to fix the pictures then because I could not see them. The only way I can now see that they're crooked is because I increased in light. So what is my choice right now? What is my part of Grace for Grace? Now that I can see that the pictures are crooked, my choice is, do I fix them? If I fix them, what's he gonna do? All the way to, now what if I don't? What if I see that the pictures are crooked and I don't care? I don't care. I don't want to fix them. I'm not going to. What's he going to do? What will a loving Heavenly Father do? You know what? You don't have to see him. But he never fully takes the light away. I think all of us will all, no matter how people reject, I think they'll always have a basic level of light. And anytime, if I go back and I live this light, now what's gonna happen? He'll bring the pictures back up. And if this time I fix them, you see what he does? Whoops, that's mortality. All you have to do is fix what you see is broken. He'll show you what to do. That's his job, he'll show you what to do. Your job is to fix it. Now how high up and how how far down could we go and how far up can we go? Turn to Alma to Zeezrom. Back into Ammoniah when he's speaking to Zeezrom. Again, back in that wicked city. Go to Alma chapter 12, verse 10. How high can I go? Alma 12, 10. Nope, sorry. That's second Nephi. I got to get to Alma. Alma 12, verse 10. Ready? How high can I go? Someone want to read? Annalise, verse 10. And therefore, he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. Now, who's he speaking to? Zeezrom. Zeezrom. And what does he say to Zeezrom? You, Zeezrom, you. If you yield to the light that you have and you keep doing that, how far up can you go? All the way to the fullness. God doesn't hold anything back. All the way to the fullness. How far down can I go? Keep reading, Annalise. And they that will harden their heart, to them is given the lesser portion of the word, until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. Now, if I get there, and I don't think anyone gets there in this life, but if I get there, keep going. Portion of the word, until they know nothing concerning his mysteries, and then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. Now, this is what is meant by the chains. They can't repent because the atonement can't fix them. Why can't they repent? They have given up the light that would allow them to change. That's on them, right? Chains of hell is because they put themselves in a position where they can't repent, not that the atonement can't fix them. The limitation's not on Jesus. The limitation uh, is you lost all the light. Now, the reason I don't think anyone ever gets there in this life, there is a fascinating portion in the olive tree, the tame and the wild olive tree. Go to Jacob 5. Do you remember, this is an allegory, not only of each of us, but all of us. And it talks about the apostasy. There's a time, look at verse 30, Jacob chapter 5. This is where in the in the history of the house of Israel, the apostasy hits. Oh, come on, get to 5. Look at verse 30. What does it say in verse 30? It came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard and the servant went down into the vineyard and they came to the trees whose natural branches had been broken and the wild trees had all been grafted in and behold, all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree. The whole tree has gone bad. This is the apostasy. And yet... What does the servant say in verse 34? In the middle of the apostasy, was Israel totally dead? In the middle of the apostasy, was Israel totally dead? Because why? The roots were still alive. I think every human being on this planet still has enough light to change. Maybe someday you can lose. I don't think you can do it in the if the if Israel didn't lose all their light during the apostasy. If you think about it, how did we get a how did we get a constitution of the United States during the apostasy? How did we get a Bible during the apostasy if Israel was totally dead? You see that message? Everyone can improve upon light. And the moment you do, what will he do? He'll give you more. Do you see the process? Now, the greatest Book of Mormon verse, ready? We should have started with this, but I wanted to culminate with this. This is where all the music just crescendos. Ready? Here we go. 2 Nephi 28, verse 30. The gospel of Jesus Christ in one verse. This is how you claim the blessings of the atonement. It's not go as far as you can all by yourself without his help, and then he'll help you. It's go live the light that you have, and when you do, he'll give you more. Second, Nephi, chapter twenty-eight, verse thirty. Anyone want to read? Uh, for behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto mine counsel. For they shall learn wisdom, for unto him that, with, um, that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, We have enough, from them shall be taken away even that which they have. Tell me, that's not it. That's life. If you have hope and you are growing grace for grace, you're going to make it. Let me give you what I believe is the greatest promise in the Book of Mormon. The reason I say that is normally a prophet's word is enough. Lehi said, if you obey, you'll prosper in the land. And I take it, because Lehi said it. Once in a while, Jesus will put his name on a prophet, I mean, on a promise. He'll repeat a promise. One time that I can find, the Father himself comes down and puts his name on a promise. Now, I think his name's on all promises but he deliberately puts his name on this promise as if to say, this is the one. Turn to 2 Nephi chapter 31, verse 20, and you'll see why we started with hope. 31, verse 20. I think this is the greatest promise in the Book of Mormon because there's no way I'm going to get to the fullness before I die, will I? There's no way. I know that. So he gives us this promise wherefore, press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. That's my job. That's what I do every day of my life. I just press forward with a steadfastness in Christ. I'm not alone. I hold his hand the whole time. Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having, what does he say? A perfect brightness of hope. You have to start with hope. Move forward with hope. Obey the first two commandments. There's the first one. There's the second one. Move forward. Hope in your heart. Obeying God, loving God, loving man. Now listen to this sentence. Ready? Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ and endure to the end. That means death. If you are in the process of grace for grace advancing when you die, even though you got a long distance ahead of you, if you are in the process of grace for grace growth, line upon line, here a little, there a little, if you're doing that when you die, thus saith the Father, you will have eternal life. You made it. Do you see why that's the greatest? I think that's the greatest promise. Salvation is within your reach. It is not go as far as you can on your own. It's take one step and then he'll help you. He'll give you more light. We are constantly dancing with Christ. Now here's what we don't have time. Tell me how the Book of Mormon begins. The whole story of the first book is two men go through the same trials. And what does one do? What does the other do? It is an absolute brilliant way to start the Book of Mormon. Especially after you've read it and you've caught the concept of grace for grace. Line upon line, precept upon precept. You go watch Nephi. And when the command came to leave Jerusalem, he didn't want to do it. His heart needed to be softened. And then just slow increments of light. By the end of 1 Nephi, how far apart are Nephi and Laman? Now, they went through the same experiences, right? It is a brilliant way to start the Book of Mormon. It is to illustrate how you and I are going to get to the end. Slow, steady progress. But if I choose not to respond, I'm going to lose light. Now, are there periods of my life when I've lost light? Of course there are. So what did I do? What should I do? Get the light that I do have and turn around and start to obey. And as soon as I start to obey, what happens? The process begins. That is the message of the Book of Mormon. Salvation as presented by the Book of Mormon is very different, isn't it? Grace as taught by the Book of Mormon is very different. It's not you do everything you can and then he'll take over. It's dance with him be a little bit better today, small increments, be a little bit better today, and he'll give you enough light to see a little bit better tomorrow, and then be better tomorrow. Now, can you do that? Is there anyone on this planet who can't do that? That's how you're saved. Grace for grace line upon line, precept upon precept. If you're doing that when you die, thus saith the Father, you will make it. You will be in the celestial kingdom. You will have eternal life. Of that I testify. You can do this. You can have hope that you can. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Any last thoughts? Okay, too much to do, too? That was booking it. Now, just as an FYI, I am teaching this class as an online class with videos. And so if you, if you felt like this was too fast, you can go check out the other class, and it's a lot slower. So when you get one class, they get two. So we did a whole class on hope, and then we did a whole class on um, grace for grace. And then we did a whole class. We did a whole class on Nephi and Laman. That, that one's being processed right now. But just an FYI, if you go to the online version of this class, which is the very first class once you get to my website, you can go back and pick up anything. Um, but we'll keep that. Go- we'll keep going. We just will go a little bit more accelerated. Is that OK? We've got to get through. A lot of material. So helpful tonight. Grace for grace. Do you have more hope when you see what is expected of you? Oh, shoot. There's one. uh, (laughs) Never mind. We don't have time. We're over time. I'll just paraphrase. A beautiful line in the allegory of the Wild, wild and olive tree. He says, you won't don't get rid of all the bad all at once. You'll destroy the tree if you do that. Get rid of the bad. What does he say? as the good beginneth to grow. That's Heavenly Father's very realistic expectation. You don't have to get rid of the bad all at once. Get rid of the bad. There it is, right? Welcome to the Book of Mormon. You don't have to get rid of the bad all at once. Just get rid of the bad as the light increases. What would you do without this book? Don't ever take it away from me.